Hey, good morning. Welcome again to this gathering of the church at West Creek. Uh, today we're going to do what we do every week. We're going to open a portion of the Bible. We're going to explain what it says in its own terms and explain what it says in light of the Bible's whole story uh, that is focused on Christ. And then we're going to try to apply it to our lives. So I invite you to take a Bible, open to Proverbs chapter 4. We'll read verses 20 to 27. Uh, if you're, again, if you're looking at that same red Bible uh, that's in the chair in front of you, you'll find it on page 530. Uh, so uh, I'm going to read this. You can follow along. And after I'm done reading, I'm going to say uh, this is God's word because uh, we want to acknowledge that this is God's gift to us. If you agree and are thankful, would you join with me and say thanks be to God. So Proverbs 4, 20 to 27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, if you're honest with, with yourself after reading this passage, you will see how hard it is to do what Solomon wants us to do. It's really hard to be attentive to God's word. It's really hard to remember it. It's really hard to keep your hearts. It's really hard to keep looking and moving forward in obedience to God. It's really hard to do all that this passage describes. So at the beginning of our time, I'm going to make you feel better, okay? It's actually worse than you think. <laughs> Compare this set of verses with other verses from Proverbs. For instance, Proverbs 22, verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Proverbs 28, 28 verse 26 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind or heart, whoever trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So this passage from Proverbs 4 that we read calls us to keep our hearts. But other parts of the of Proverbs and many other parts of the Bible tell us that we have broken, foolish, deceived, and sinful hearts. So before we can ever follow Proverbs 4 and keep our hearts, we need to fix our hearts. We have to address this problem before looking at this passage. So the question is, what do we do? How do we fix our hearts? How do we get new hearts? Well, I'm not the first guy to observe this, but as far as I know, no one has ever performed heart surgery on themselves. Even Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from sin. You know, even if we could perform heart surgery on ourselves, we wouldn't want to perform heart surgery on ourselves because our hearts are deceived and we like being deceived. So how do we get new hearts? And follow Proverbs 4. One of my favorite pastors is a guy named John Onwucheka. His family's from Nigeria. He pastors in Atlanta. Uh, Pastor John O says that God doesn't fix our hearts by calling for our performance, but by giving us a promise. Many places, Ezekiel 36, God promises to give his people new hearts. 
Pastor John O quotes the movie John Q. I don't know if you've seen this movie before. John Q starring Denzel Washington. Uh, This movie opens up with Denzel watching his young son play baseball. His son is rounding the bases. He's rounding third, heading home, but then he faints. He collapses. And everybody rushes onto the field, including Denzel himself. And they think his son's problem is his most obvious, invisible one. That just, he ran out of water, he's dehydrated, but he's not getting up. So they take him to the hospital and the doctors tell them that his son has an enlarged heart. And if he doesn't get a heart transplant very soon, he's going to die. I mean, imagine that would be a huge news to hear. And so the doctor tells him it costs $250,000 to get on the uh, to get a new heart. And it costs $75,000 just to get on the donor list. So Denzel, he, he, he pleads, he schemes, he tries to raise the money. Uh, but meanwhile, his son is getting worse and his son is close to death, but he hasn't raised the 75000 So he gets so desperate, so hopeless, that he goes into the hospital with a gun and he holds the place hostage. But his son still is getting ready to die and he gets so desperate, so hopeless that he puts the gun to his head and he says, I'm going to kill myself so that my son will have a new heart. But the director of this movie was brilliant. Because at the very beginning of the movie, there's a scene that we think is entirely unrelated to the main story. It's this lady who's driving on the highway trying to pass an 18-wheeler. She cuts him off, she crashes, and she dies. What ends up happening is that the death of that lady provided a new heart for the son. So our God is just like that director. You see, Ephesians 1 says that Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. That God directed a plan to give us new hearts through the death of his son. So my friend, just from the very beginning of our time, I wonder if you're coming in this morning feeling frustrated and weighed down because you don't do the things that you know you should do. My friend, if that's you, don't put a Band-Aid on when you need heart surgery. You can't keep your heart without first fixing your heart. And there's somebody who has provided all you need to have a right heart. To have a new heart that delights and desires the Lord. And that somebody is Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, I want you to talk to somebody about what it means to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and be redeemed by him. But just imagine for a second that they came out with John Q2, right? John Q2, Revenge of the Fallen or something like that. I don't know. It takes place 30 years later. The kid who got the new heart, uh, the scene opens up. He's now addicted to menthol cigarettes and McDonald's quarter pounders. He hasn't been to the doctor in 20 years. He got a new heart but he hasn't kept his heart. Now we would be so mad at that kid, right? It's like, do you realize the preciousness of the gift that you got? It reminds me of what Puritan pastor John Flavel wrote in his book, Keeping the Heart, which was first published in 1668. He says this, the greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God. The greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. That's what we want to talk about today, how we keep our heart with God. First, have to get it fixed by God. 
So main, main point or main idea of Proverbs 4, 20 to 27, it takes perseverance to remain on the path of wisdom. But the God who fixed our hearts is the God who moves in us in order to keep our hearts. It'll give you a roadmap for our time. Those with fixed hearts who fear the Lord rightly need to watch the influences on their hearts. They need to keep their hearts. And finally, they need to examine the expressions of their hearts. So first, we need to watch the influences on our hearts. We're honing in here on verses 20 to 22. Now, every Sunday morning at exactly 9.17 a.m., I usually am in the middle of trying to get everything ready for this time together, whether it be bulletins, slides, microphones, readers, kids' time, forgetting the scripture readings, everything, it's to sprint to the finish. 9.17 a.m. on Sunday is the exact time my iPhone displays this blue box on its screen, and it contains two statistics. The first statistic is the, amount, is the average amount of time my iPhone screen was open during the past week, each day of that past week. The second statistic compares how much time I looked at my phone from the previous week. Now every week I see this blue box and I have the same reaction. There's no way I look at my phone that much every day. <laughs> now I'm not gonna tell you my screen time and I won't ask for you to tell me yours, but I bet you're like me, that you don't realize how much you're being influenced. Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 22, draw our attention to the messages and the images we receive. You see, what you listen to the most and what you watch the most will end up influencing what you love the most. So what you listen to, what you watch, can make you love a lifestyle of leisure and entertainment. This will, in turn, make you long for the couch at the end of the day might make you buy too many streaming services. What you listen to and watch the most can make you love a certain brand of politics. It becomes what you daydream about, what you post online about, what you talk about all the time. What you listen to and watch the most can make you love wealth, beauty, and self-image. Things like Instagram and HGTV give you images of the good life which influence your spending habits and influence your longings. My friend, it's not a matter of if you're being influenced, but what's influencing you. And when it comes to the influences on your heart, you might expect Proverbs 4, 20 to 22 to target negative influences. Like, my son, these are the things that you can't pay attention to. Now, Proverbs does do that in other places, but look again what it says. It says, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. We can place this verse alongside other parts of the Bible. God calls our ears and our eyes, not just to the words of Proverbs, but to every word that proceeds from his mouth. All scripture is breathed out by God. So Proverbs 4, 20 to 22, it targets positive influence, not just negative it wants us to focus on the good and not just see how bad the bad is. I think this corrects a lot of our subtle instincts about who, God, who we think God is and what we think the Bible is. I think a lot of us subtly operate like the Bible is just one long book of God telling us, you can't do this, you can't watch that, you can't listen to that. 
Just a long book of negative commands. Now, now there are negative commands in the Bible. But imagine if that's how a parent raised their child. All they did was bark negative commands at their son or daughter. Maybe it's not hard for you to imagine that. Now, if you raised your child like that, you might, get, you might get your kid to do what you want, but you won't win your kid's heart. See, if God called our attention only to how bad the world is, if he, if he called our attention only to how bad sin is, we would never see how good he is. If God just called our attention to how bad the bad stuff is, he might get our actions, oh, but he wouldn't get our hearts. Aren't there a lot of Christians like that who have the actions but not the hearts? But verses 20 to 22 work differently. They mean, they mean to influence our hearts, not by showing us just how bad the world's messages are. They want to show us how good God's word is. Look at verse 22. God's words are life to those who find them, healing to all their flesh. This reminds me of what Peter told Jesus. Just, Jesus, who else, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. So I wonder, maybe you struggle to listen and read the Bible because you do it out of guilt and not out of delight. You say, ah, man, I feel guilty. I just haven't been making time to do this. I've been watching too much TV, so I guess I'm going to crack open my Bible. Now, guilt can reclaim your obedience, but my friend, guilt cannot sustain your obedience. I wonder, what if you approach the Bible with the attitude of Proverbs 4, verse 22? What if you approach the Bible saying, this is the life-giving words of the God of the universe, that in front of me, I have the self-revelation of the Savior who loves me and gave himself for me. Solomon wants us to be attentive to God's word. He wants us to remember it. He wants us to store it in our hearts. But we're only going to do that when we delight in the God of this book. When we realize the preciousness of each word because it comes from God, we're not just going to listen. We're going to listen closely. When we realize how precious this book is, when we delight in the God who gave it, we will just naturally push away the distractions that keep us from it. When you know how good God's word is, not just how bad other influences are, and you won't rush to be done with the word. You'll want to linger with it. My friend, good influences are vital. You should watch what influences your heart. Now that's our second point, keep your heart. Like we said, good influences are vital. We need the word of God. But you know, the word of God is only effective if it penetrates your heart. The Bible isn't like icy hot. The Bible's like Tylenol, right? It, it, it's not topical medicine, it's internal medicine. Now, if you have a headache, you can try to alleviate your headache by rubbing a Tylenol pill on your head. You can do that until it like, runs out to nothing. It's not gonna help. You see, but see, the same thing is with the Bible. If the Bible doesn't get into your heart and change what you love and desire, it's useless. You'll be unaffected. You'll be unchanged. 
And my friend, you've seen this happen. I bet you've seen this happen to yourself. Maybe you've seen it happen to other people. You've watched people who come to church every week but don't seem to be any different. You've seen kids grow up with Christian parents, go to Christian schools, attend Christian clubs, watch Christian movies, but don't end up as Christians. You can expose yourself to all the good influences, but your heart can remain indifferent. Now, we just saw how we'll want to remember the word only when we delight in the word. But that, that means it's crucial then we keep and guard our delight in God. It's crucial that we keep our hearts. So look again at verse 23, which talks about the heart, and it's the heart of this passage. Verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now I'm gonna, I wanna dissect this verse like a detective. I'll give you the what, how, when, and why. First up, what is the heart? What is the heart? We've talked about it a lot, but I wanna make sure we're talking about the same thing. Now when you and I use hearts, at least in our culture, we're mainly talking about our emotions and our instincts. And then we use mind to refer to our reason and our intellect. But the Bible is much more comprehensive with how it talks about the heart. In the Bible, the heart is like your command center or the cockpits of your airplane. Right? Have you ever seen, if you've ever been into a cockpit on an airplane or seen pictures, you see all these buttons and all these levers and all these screens. It controls the rest of the plane. Even in Proverbs, Proverbs 3, verse 5, we trust with our hearts. Proverbs 16, verse 9, we plan with our hearts. Proverbs 6, verse 25, we desire with our hearts. Even Jesus himself said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in the Bible, the heart prompts all that we do. You know, that makes the phrase follow your heart, redundant. The question isn't whether you follow your heart. The question is whether your heart is good. So how do we keep our hearts? That's, what is the heart? Well, second detective question. How do we keep our hearts? I'm going to give you five actions and one posture. How do we keep our hearts? Five actions, one posture. First action is fix talked about this at the beginning. If we are going to keep our hearts, God first must fix our hearts. So picture your heart like a dilapidated garden. It's dried up. It's filled with weeds. It's like your neighbor's garden that you're always mad at when you drive by them. It's overgrown. It's unkept. Now, to fix your heart, God needs to do more than just give your garden a touch-up. He has to give it an overhaul. He has to exchange the soil. He has to raise the garden back to life. This is what God promised to do in Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. This is what he fulfilled the work of his son, Jesus. You know this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How do we fix our hearts? Well, first, our hearts need to get fixed. Well, second action, you need to know your heart. 
To keep your heart, you need to know your heart. Once God fixes our hearts, we must know it. Where do the weeds pop up still? What are my weak points when I'm idle? What are the temptations I'm naturally drawn toward? What are the situations that regularly trip me up? Because I bet you need to know those things because I bet Satan, our enemy and God's, knows those questions very well about you. Satan will exploit your weaknesses. He knows where the weeds pop up. He'll, pre- he'll exploit them with pressure. He'll give you subtle seduction. You must know your heart if you're going to keep it. How do you keep your heart? Well, God has to fix it. We have to know a third action. You have to uproot the sin in your heart. Uproot the sin in your heart. All of your behavior, sin included, goes deeper than the surface. Part of knowing your heart is knowing the roots of your sin. And it's like weeds. If you just cut them, they're going to come back. You have to uproot them. You need to change more than your circumstances. You need to work on your heart. If you always cuss and scream at a traffic jam, the problem isn't the traffic jam. The problem is your heart. James 4, 2 if you, have, if, you have an, if you argue with people all the time, if you're angry a lot, it's not just you have an anger issue. You have a desire issue. James 4.2 says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You need to find the roots of your sin and dig them out. Matthew 6 Well-known passage, Jesus says that the sin of adultery doesn't start with your circumstances. It starts with your heart. You don't just do it because it feels good. You do it because you aren't satisfied with what God has given you. To keep your heart, you have to dig and find the roots of your behavior. You have to ask yourself, what am I asking sin to give me? You have to uproot the sin in your heart. How do you keep your heart? Well, God has to fix it. We have to know it. We have to uproot the sin. Fourth action, we need to replant. We need to replant. We don't just want to get rid of the weeds. We want to replace them with flowers. You can't just erase old desires. You have to displace old desires. Something more lovely has to fill you and capture you. This is the language of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. That places like Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 talk about. And I witnessed this this week, not even in a person, but in my dog. (laughs) Replanting desires. So this past week, uh, Kate and I watched my parents' new puppy, Cookie, who is 11 pounds. And we have our yellow lab, Annie, who is 75 pounds. (laughs) So these two dogs in the same house, we have moments of chaos. Now, Annie, ironically, even though she's big, she's actually scared of a lot of stuff. So there are parts of the house that she just does not dare to go near because she's too scared of it. She loves her safety and her comfort. One of those parts in the house is right by the oven. Now, I get it. The oven's scary. It's really hot. It sometimes crashes and makes noise. And so she doesn't want to go past the oven. But one day... Kate and Cookie are hanging out just beyond the oven. They're playing and they're having fun. And Annie goes up right to the point to where she's scared. And I can see the wheels churning in her head. Even a dog, right? 
she has to think, am I, am I going to love my safety or am I going to love being part of the fun? Now, you might have guessed the love of being a part of the fun displaced her love of feeling safe. And she ran right past the oven and joined them. You have to replant your desires. They have to be displaced by something beautiful. How do you keep your heart? God has to fix it. We need to know it. We need to uproot the sin in it. We need to replant it with something beautiful. And number five, the fifth action, you need to drink and to bask. Again, think of the garden. This is how plants and flowers grow. Last week, we cited 2 Corinthians 3.18, how our growth in delighting in the Lord, devoting ourselves to God, what the Bible calls fear, we grow in that from beholding God. So my friend, to keep your heart, be the sunflower who orients yourself to the light. Drink deeply from the water of the word so that it replenishes your roots. Colossians 3 says to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I'm going to give you some concrete examples of the Bible of drinking and basking in just the greatness of God. 1 Samuel 12, 24 you can drink and bask in God's great deeds. It says, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. How do you grow in that? It says, for consider what great things he has done for you. Drink deeply and bask in God's wisdom. Jeremiah 10, verse 7, who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due for among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms. There is none like you. Bask in God's wisdom and it will keep your heart. Drink deeply and bask in God's holiness. Revelation 15, 4. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Think of God's holiness and keep your heart. Drink deeply and bask in God's forgiveness. Psalm 130, verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Drink deeply of this to keep your heart. Now, these five actions, we could probably think of more than just these, but it takes at least these to keep our hearts desiring and delighting in God. And we want to do all these actions with one posture. Go back to Proverbs 4, verse 23. We want to keep our hearts with all vigilance. Vigilance implies a carefulness and a watchfulness. It means we're active in this process, not passive. You know as well as I do, good gardens don't just happen. They must be cultivated. So to be vigilant in keeping your heart, friend, that means being humble. Humble enough to admit that your heart is vulnerable and prone to wander. To be vigilant in keeping your heart means being honest. Your heart is valuable, and there are thieves who want to infiltrate it and recapture what used to belong to them. To be vigilant and keeping your heart, then that means being confident. You're realistic about the threats that uh, you face, but you are not paranoid and you are not paralyzed. Even as you work to keep your heart for the Lord, you remember ultimately it's the Lord who keeps you. You may have the task to keep your heart, but the power to keep your heart comes from God and God alone. We heed the call of Jude 1.21, which says, keep yourself in the love of God, 
And at the same time, we rest confidently in the promise of Jude 1.24, which says, God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We ask, what is the heart? We ask, how do we keep it? Another detective question. When are you going to need to do this? When will you need to keep your heart? Well, really, it's all the time, whenever and wherever. But I want to paint for you a few different scenarios. And that Puritan guy I mentioned at the beginning, John Flavel, this is where he really shines. He gives us several scenarios about where our hearts would be tempted to stray and how we might keep them for God. So picture this. Are you in a time of prosperity where everything seems to be going well? John Flavel says this, keep your vain heart at bay by remembering God values no man for his outward excellencies, but rather for his inward graces. Are you in a time of adversity, trial, hardship? Flavel says, remember, God did not at first choose you because you were high. He will not forsake you now because you are low. He says, remember the character of the one who has permitted such a time. He says, would it not grieve a faithful, tender-hearted physician when he had studied the case of his patient and prepared the most excellent medicines to save his life, then to hear his patient cry out, oh, you have undone me, you have poisoned me, because it pains him in the operation. It's in a time of adversity, God never wastes it. Remember his character and his wisdom. Are you in a time when the world seems to be crumbling around you? John Flavel says to keep your heart by remembering it's not your job to rule the world. It's your job to submit to the one who does rule the world. Are you in a time when you feel the pressure of finances, having a hard time making ends meet? John Flavel says keep your heart for God by remembering it could have been worse. You could have been without Christ. Keep your heart by remembering it will be better shortly. He says, if there aren't any candles in your house, remember that it's almost day and you won't need them anymore. Are you in a time when you've been wronged by somebody? Hurt. John Flavel says to keep your heart for God by remembering that vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. Keep your heart by remembering that you constantly offend God by your sin, yet he does not retaliate against you because he poured out his wrath for your sin on Christ. Are you in a time when you're being tempted? John Flavel says to keep your heart for God by remembering that he is truthful and sin is a lie. If sin is so pleasurable, why did Peter weep so bitterly? If sin is so pleasurable, why did David cry out for his broken bones? Bible says, why hinder your peace with God for sin? Why would you wrong the God who is merciful? Keep your heart, remember God's goodness, and let it lead you to repentance. Mm-hmm. Friends, keep your heart with all vigilance. Last kind of detective question, why should we do this? We've answered it at various points, but just to summarize, you should keep your heart because your heart is valuable. It's what controls your behavior. Out of it flows the spring of life, verse 23 says. And we often get this confused. We think that we'll behave differently only if something in my life was different. We'll behave differently only if my circumstances changed. 
you know, that's what the Israelites thought in the wilderness and even in much of their history. He says, wait, wait, if only we had land, then we, would, then we wouldn't be such knuckleheads. You know, if only we had a king, that would solve all of our problems. But Deuteronomy 5.29, God tells his people, oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments. That's what his people needed. Not a change in circumstances, but a change in heart. Why should you keep your heart? You should keep your heart because it's valuable and because it's vulnerable. Your heart is susceptible to drifting, to attack, to deception, to seduction, to forgetfulness, to dullness. So it's important that you keep it. Why should you keep your heart? Well, it's valuable, it's vulnerable, but you should keep your heart if fellow Christian, because your heart isn't your own. Your heart isn't your own. You have been bought with a price, an incomparable, inestimable price, the life of the Son of God. This should remind you of the weight of this task, that Jesus has charged you to take care of what belongs to him. My brother and sister, if you don't steward your heart well, you are robbing the Lord. That our hearts aren't our own doesn't just show us the weight of this task. It shows us the privilege of this task also. Because you and I don't keep our hearts for somebody who is cold and distant. We keep our hearts for somebody who is near. Someone who gave himself for us. Someone who will love us to the end. You should keep your heart with all vigilance. So we said, watch the influences of your life. Keep your heart. Last thing, we should examine the expressions of our hearts. Leading up to this, how are you doing with keeping your heart? Ask you a question, maybe you and I should ask each other more often. It might be kind of a weird question to ask. How is your heart? How is your heart? If you're like me, you might have a hard time answering that. So verses 24 to 27 can help you. You can tell how your heart's doing by your words, by your looks, that is like what you're looking at, and by your habits. Verse 24, what you say reveals what you love. Jesus says again, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. So do you use your words to bite back at people? Do you use your words to gossip? Do you use your words to criticize? Do you use your words to manipulate? Do you use your words to curse? Something's going on in your heart. According to verse 24, a fixed heart and a kept heart will put away crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. A fixed heart and a kept heart will use words to give grace to those who hear. You gotta examine the expressions of your heart. Verse 25, what you look at reveals what you love. You remember Lot's wife? Genesis. Lot's wife looked back at Sodom instead of looking straight ahead because that's where her heart was. David, when he first saw Bathsheba, kept looking at Bathsheba instead of straight ahead because that's where his heart was. A fixed heart and a kept heart will look directly forward. It will join Philippians 3. Forget what lies behind, strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Examine the expressions of your heart. Verse 26 and 27. How you walk reveals what you love. Shows you how your heart is doing. A heart that is unkept is careless about the snares and traps of the, the, the paths of life. A fixed heart and a kept heart ponders the choices in front of him. Like Joseph deciding whether or not to sleep with Potiphar's wife, he ponders his path. Like Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, he ponders his path. Doesn't act out of impulse. A fixed and kept heart recognizes traps and avoids them. An unkept heart is easily distracted and lulled off course. A fixed and kept heart remembers Ephesians 5, verse 15, which says, look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. My friend, how is your heart? Well, if you want to know, examine how your heart expresses itself. Examine what you say. Examine where you look. Examine how you walk. The warning is, if you don't examine the expressions of your heart, the expressions of your heart will end up hardening your heart. They'll create deeper grooves in your heart so that you just like sin more and sin becomes more natural. You know this, you start gossiping, it just becomes easier to keep on gossiping. You start watching porn, it becomes easier to keep watching porn. You stop walking into church, it becomes easier to keep not walking into church. The expressions of your heart can end up reinforcing the desires of your heart. You gotta examine them. Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, who among us can say, that we are pure in heart, especially when we examine the expressions of our hearts. But Jesus knows that none of us are pure, and that's exactly why he came. He came to die for the sin of our hearts so that those who would believe in him would not just be forgiven, but have new hearts by his spirit. So now that we are secured in Christ, Jesus invites us to pour out our hearts to him. We confess what we sang earlier, that our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. But you know what happens when we pour out our hearts to God? Philippians 4 talks about it. When we pour out our hearts to God in prayer, it says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because in other words, the peace with God that Jesus has won for us in his death and resurrection, that's the only way to fix your heart, and it's the only way to keep your heart also. It's the only way that, that you can be secure enough to say that I have the pardon for my unkept heart, and, I, and Jesus gives me the power to keep going, because he will keep my heart. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, yes, we are prone to wander. We feel it. We don't want to skirt from this. We want to deal honestly with ourselves and, and examine what's in us. Or we're, we've got ourselves in habits where we're saying things we shouldn't say, where we're not saying things we should be saying. 
We're looking at stuff we shouldn't be looking at. We're not delighting in you. Our, our hearts are far. Oh God, by your spirit, would you have mercy to revive our hearts and give us power to keep them for you, for they belong to you alone. We ask you to do this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.